Hello, listeners. You're listening to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We are your hosts, Sam Collier and Sarah Cho. And today's episode is this month's uh, play of the month that we're going to read. And it was. That we already read. That we already read. Yes, you're right. Uh, That was recommended to (laughs) us uh, by one of our listeners, uh, Meredith Bartman. Uh, She recommended Valley Turk by Enda Walsh. Uh, And we read it. We read it. (laughs) Very interesting. It was a very interesting play. I'm still digesting it. I'm still trying to figure this out. Um, But let's to start off, let's just talk about our first impressions of the play. Okay. Um, My first impression is that it was very weird and hard to understand what was happening and why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, same boat. I jumped in maybe too fast. I was like, whoa. Um, I jumped in <laughs> and, and I, it was really, I mean, my, I, my brain could not even compute what was happening in the play. Um, I was trying to follow these two characters they don't have names they're known as one and two um it's very beckett-esque um and very experimental very uh just um i was i don't even i don't want to say chaotic but it was oh, I think chaotic is a good word because there's a lot of like running around and putting on music and turning off the music and then the alarm clock going off, a cuckoo clock going off and like somebody <laughs> suddenly taking off his clothes and taking a shower for 10 seconds. And I mean, it, mm-hmm. I think chaotic is a very good word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's chaotic and just but but as you as you listed all the things you just said, Sam, it's also very just physical. And physical, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Physical, chaotic high energy um and i think we both agree but we're before we started recording it was like this is a play that we we just probably need to see because reading it on the page is kind of hard to really grasp and follow um yeah yeah i i don't know about you but for the first 10 pages or so i kept waiting for something to click into place i kept waiting for like something to change so that I understood the, for lack of a better word, like given circumstances and mm-hmm. um, why we were watching these characters be so strange. And then I, it, probably around between pages 10 and 20, I came to understand that this was not going to happen. <laughs> that <I> was not <laughs> gonna, Nothing was going to click into place for me. I was not going to, suddenly get it and mm-hmm. I um I guess I surrendered to the absurdity mm. and I wonder whether if I were seeing a production that moment would have happened earlier mm. it probably would have that it might have been maybe like an actor's physicality or like their emotion how they expressed it then you might or yeah, reaction. I think so. And I think sense. also yeah. the stage directions kind of play a joke on you because they're so specific and mm-hmm. it's and the stage directions are really describing everything and kind of conversational. And so it feels like they're welcoming you into this world. And then 
they don't actually give you the information you're looking for. And, mm-hmm. and right. And so like, if you're watching the play, there would be no stage directions. You would just be thrown in to this scene or space where you're seeing these people behave this way. And so maybe, maybe I think if I were seeing it, I wouldn't be waiting for that click. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to talk about state directions. Um, yeah, yeah. One of our <clears throat> things. But before we get into that, let's just provide a, the best in our best ability, this short synopsis of the play. So I think listeners, if you kind of get what we just said, um, it's these two men. They're in this, uh, it's like a living room. They're in this uh, room together. All the furniture is, is like... yeah. Up against the walls. Up against the wall, yeah. And they're just talking to each other, telling uh, stories. Um, and at some point, this third guy comes in. Uh, <laughs> well, the whole back wall falls down. And right. Then, and then you can see this grassy knoll <laughs> behind him, mm-hmm. behind the wall. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then this third man comes from the outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Belly Turk, like I, it's not a real place. Um, but they constantly talk about Belly Turk. Mm-hmm. It's like this. Uh, I, I, I'm so curious to know what you thought by the end. What you think Belly Turk meant? I guess I just thought of it as this town that mm-hmm. they made up, where there were all these terrible, mean people and for some reason a lot of birds that attack you (laughs) (laughs) which i i don't know how you how you fared with that part of it i knew you're afraid of birds but i not gonna lie i googled and i'm like where's this place don't want to go there (laughs) yeah um okay all right i want to read this this excerpt from a the review that Ben Brantley wrote for the New York production at St. Anne's Warehouse, which Enda Walsh directed himself. (laughs) Um, Because I think it might give people a sense of the feel of the play. So he wrote, quote, the head-scratching ghost of Samuel Beckett and the more sinister spirit of Harold Pinter haunt Valley Turk, which traffics unapologetically in literature's biggest theme. I mean the point or pointlessness of life in the face of death and how we avoid and embrace our ultimate ends and particularly how people block the view of mortality with small talk and its physical equivalents. So, end quote. So that was helpful for me in understanding or just kind of like being able to articulate the connection between the themes of this play and Beckett's work because in a way, it feels very different from Beckett. It's full of all these objects and colors and um, like storytelling in a way, whereas I think of Beckett's plays as being very stripped down and bare. Um, but it is these two characters just kind of doing a lot of busyness to avoid, it seems, to avoid thinking about larger existential questions. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, and this play was written 
or performed, I think it was 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always constantly trying to connect, you know, what is the context, you know, what's going on and like maybe what is this play reacting to or the playwright writing in reaction to. So I, you know, I'm kind of wondering, you know, well, and he is Irish. We should say that. I, so, I don't think we said that yet. Yeah. No, not yet. But um, so I'm constantly wondering, you know, what is happening in the world? This sense of chaos, which I, I, you know, I think in some sense, I think we could relate to the chaos and mm-hmm. how these two characters are feeling trapped in that and finding ways to break certain I don't know what it is but like some cycles that they're experiencing or or trying to break through um Mm -hmm. so I think there's something there that I was kind of trying to grab onto but a play like this I like you just said like I kind of have to it's so hard to talk about plays like this because for personally for me because I sort of have to leave all my assumptions about playwright almost like at the door Mm. to try to like be open-minded and kind of trying to see what it is that the 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 playwright is trying to achieve or whether it be emotional visceral or like artistic um level and it's like it's like enda Walsh his own language and I'm like I don't even know I don't think I understand your language literally (laughs) like what Mm -hmm. um what you're trying to say here but it's it's definitely a interesting reading experience um (laughs) well and I think one thing that really would come through in a performance is how you have these two characters taking on the identities of different people in this fictional town and that was really hard for me to follow on the page like they they kind of play act these scenes Mm -hmm. um between these characters that they I think that they've made up um Mm -hmm. And there's a whole language associated with that that I think their physicality would help us understand. Well, should we tell people a little bit about Enda Walsh? Sarah, who is Enda Walsh? Who is Enda Walsh? I would like to know as well. Um, (laughs) He was born in 1967. Um, Three years younger than my mom, interestingly. My mom. <laughs> uh, he is an Irish playwright. He is a multi-award winning Irish playwright. His work has been translated into over 20 languages and has been performed internationally since 1998. So he's been around. Um, most notable work, he won a Tony Award in 2012 for writing the book for Musical Once, which went on to play on Broadway in the West End and a U.S. tour. Uh, more on his personal side of his life. He was born in Dublin. His father was a salesman. Mother was an actress. He is a second youngest of six children. Uh, He currently lives in London with his wife and family and child. So that's a little bit of who he is now. Have you read any of his other work? No. Mm -mm. No, I've, yeah, I... I mean, Once is a pretty big musical. Like, I didn't even that. I didn't know uh, who wrote it or um, that he was involved with it. So, um, 
Yeah, let's... Uh... Does that make you more impressed about him? But the musical once? <laughs> You're like, oh, once. he does have some credentials. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once is a pretty... I mean, anything that's big... Any, I feel like a, a movie, a popular movie adapted to a musical and it goes on Broadway, I'm like, that's kind of a big deal. And who is that? Who did it's that? It's so funny because I... It, I mean, I haven't seen once the musical. I feel like I might have seen the film, but it could not be more different from this play. Oh, yeah. So different. So different. Yeah. Ballet Turk is not mainstream at all. (laughs) Well, what are some of the themes either in this play or that Mm -hmm. like you've read about in his other work? I mean, I'll be honest, I had a hard time on a first read, figuring out what the themes are. Mm. Um, but it helped me a little bit to read some reviews. But, I mean, I, I guess I did kind of have this sense of, of like, loneliness and isolation. It seemed like these two characters didn't know anything about the world. Like, they thought bunnies have five legs. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet their understanding of the world was very very dark like they had these dreams about stabbing people and um and bally turk sounds so foreboding and frightening and so there's both this like um innocence about the world like I, by which i mean like I guess, ignorance, like not knowing anything about the world, but also a fear of the outside world. So that's what Um, I pulled. What did you pull in terms of the themes themes or ideas? Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I think honestly, up, I, other than what you just said, like, oh, these two characters, they're, they are miserable as heck. Um, and I'm like, they're, I, and the pacing up until the third character arrives is just so fast in some way, like so quick for me. And I'm like trying to follow what they're saying. But when character three arrives, it it suddenly slows real down, like slows mm. down for me mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, okay, now I feel like the playwright is controlling the pace here and telling me something here and character three has this like almost everything this character says uh, is a monologue and so where it feels like I'm really taking in the information um, kind of almost like being I felt like being like spoon fed to me of like here's the I don't know what's the word like what, what I'm trying to say here, but like what's at stake here or what's going on here or um, mm-hmm. even though it's even the monologues itself was kind of like I don't understand what this really means, but there's something about the poetry of the monologue and um, the imagery that's like creating um, like here. I'll just read a couple sentences. Like, yeah, there's so on page 44. um 
Character three says, uh, there's a man and he wakes alone, his eyes open, and he's conscious of his first breath, of his first movement, of his first thought, which may be of food or maybe to shuffle himself to his bathroom and relieve himself. And those first beginnings lie on top of 23,000 mornings that have passed where he has aged invisibly, definitely, where he carries half-remembered bits of his life of the people he has met and hated and loved of his brothers and sisters who were once his world and now only exist to make him feel older. There's something about that. Like I was like, Oh man, like time, like, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like there's Mm -hmm. something about uh, really the monologue forcing me to sort of slowly reflect and thinking about deeply about these characters because up until this point, there's really no sense of it's all pretty action it's all action and there's no way to like truly define what these two characters are doing really yeah. and it kind mm-hmm. of like character three helps sort of like adding some meaning to everything that's happening before and um, it's so interesting that the meaning is so tied to routine like mm-hmm. doing the same thing every morning over and over again. Yeah. And that's one of the themes themes that Enda Walsh talks about too, is that he feels like all his plays are about routines. Um mm-hmm. and and is he, what interests him is like about actually getting through the day. <laughs> like something about getting through. And it seems like he also experiences like extreme OCD. Um mm, so he sees his characters as like needing to proclaim and proclaim that's what this is his quote uh to proclaim and proclaim and proclaim to what you know to what construct rules and sort of mechanisms within their living room but to what end only to try to escape them again and probably build more and more routines and patterns and all that sort of thing so what you're saying is true so seems true ring true about routine Um, i feel like this is a play about quarantine all of a sudden (laughs) like oh my god you know Mm. Like, all the ways you, um, like, try to structure or organize your time and routines to make sense out of uh, Mm. being in quarantine. I'm just arguing with myself now. (laughs) I mean, and and how – I think there are people who need routine. Like, Mm -hmm. they need routine. Like, um, and it's so funny. They say quarantine. Like I honestly, I, th- I think I told. I don't know if I said this on the show or if I just told you personally, but like I feel like every time I wake up, it's Wednesday. Like I just feel like for yeah, some reason Wednesday yeah. is the day I wake up to for some reason. And I'm like, it's not till maybe like Friday or Saturday. I'm like, it's not Wednesday. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I don't know. It takes me a while to like my body, my mind. Because um, every day has become the same. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And it's something about, like, I'm if I leave the apartment to do something, like, even to run one errand, I'm like, wow, today feels really different. <laughs> like, today's, like, mm-hmm. a different day from yesterday. Um, Suddenly I'm starting to like this play a lot more in this moment as I think about it in relation <laughs> to quarantine. As we're, like, talking about it? Yeah, well, and just I think in this moment of – people being shut up in their houses and like not really interacting with the outside world in a normal way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's yeah. something to think about. Yeah. What um, kind of emotions did you feel as you were reading it? 
Uh, number one, confusion. <laughs> okay, uh, I think that's confusion. <laughs> number two, um, I I just felt weirdly uh, just kind of sad. Um, I yeah. just felt I I kind of I pitied the characters um, and feeling think, trying to figure out like my my mind is like okay what's the problem here? How can I fix it? <laughs> you know, like what's the, what's the issues here? Like what, what, how can we fix this? Come on, you guys. Like, what can we, how can we fix this? So you, feel this way. So you want to take care of them. I guess it's, it's weirdly. I know that's such a weird thing. You're such a to... nice person. I was like, get away from me. <laughs> Stop <laughs> telling me about bunnies stabbing people. But it's always like there's that 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 level of pain. So it's like that root of pain. Like where where is that pain coming from? Yeah, to, well, you're very compassionate. Then, oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for fictional characters only. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. So you felt really you felt sad for them. I mean, I, I yeah. guess I did also. I felt sympathy for them, but I it didn't never occurred to me that I could improve things what okay so what was your sense of how they came to be there if you did have a sense or yeah I don't know what the role of the of three was in their story yeah I honestly here's a so I think maybe to go back to what we're talking about stage directions Mm -hmm. and how I think did you say you felt like it was misleading well, I, I just had the sense that the stage directions were going to walk me through the world. And then at a certain mm-hmm. point, I let go of that assumption. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. Um, from the beginning, I immediately sort of, I think maybe came from sooner for me um, to let go of that. And so, first of all, like the first sentence says, a very large room, too large, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first sentence. And you're like, okay. That's uh, pretty ambiguous. But then it goes into details like essentially appears to be a one room dwelling. There's a sleeping area, toilet, shower area. They're all gets really specific. And then almost like taking back. Um, I'm just going to skim through. And there's like another uh, action. Um, it says like there's something unquestionably rule about this dwelling. Uh, and it's both comfortable and austere, clean, shambolic. Uh, though it isn't pushed on first viewing, tonally everything is dark and pale. There, it. I just felt like he's telling me one thing, but then establishing a whole other thing. Mm. But then kind of all, like taking it back a bit and like you know it's actually like also it could be also this. So I'm like okay, from the beginning I felt, um, like I'm gonna let go of the stage direction. That's I think yeah. that's where I like because I felt being constantly being pulled and also he goes but firstly we're in darkness is like so it starts with a very large room too large and we first see it right we're thinking we're seeing it, but he's right, like but first right, we're right. in darkness so we're like right. wait so we're dark we don't see this we don't see any of this setting um so in terms of like where are the these characters are coming from and how they might have gotten there I think um Whatever we say, I don't believe it. <laughs> and also there were so many moments where we, suddenly we would get a stage direction that's like, oh, he's holding a knife. And you're like, where did he get the knife? When did he pick mm-hmm. it up? <laughs> so I was like, mm-hmm. that these things come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and that felt, that made it feel like the ground was constantly shifting underneath of 
I think so, so. So, but the way the the setting starts is like all the things are shoved up against the wall, right? So it's almost like what are they barricading in a way? Like what mm. what is it that they're trying to push out? Maybe like not let anything in. Um, and so how they got in was like maybe so we're thinking like Bellatrix is like out there and they're trying to save themselves from Bellatrix so they found this dwelling mm. um and they're like so they push everything on the side um yeah and then there were these two voices do you remember voice one voice two yeah that enter and I was like there wondering there were four that, voices because then there was a voices? three and a four. Oh right like and on the so- other side of the wall so I had the sense when the mm-hmm. seven-year-old girl arrives at the very end. Well, okay, so so three shows up and he's like, one of you has to leave, i.e. die. And then they kind of go through this whole negotiation about who's who it's going to be. Um, and then when the little girl showed up, I I felt like maybe like one in like this cycle was continuing and that somehow mm. three is continually bringing a new person in, taking a new person out and bringing a new person in oh. and conducting some kind of experiment about keeping like raising children in this isolated environment and like seeing who they become. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I get uh, – hmm. You know, for me at the end, I don't know why for me the girl entering at the end was a suggestion of like ending a certain cycle. I don't know. Mm, that's interesting. I got that that impression. But then but I'm look, looking at this and now – well, here's the thing because I think she comes – she appears lost and frightened. She stares at two expecting to hurt her. But then feeling no threat from character two, uh, the girl turns and looks at the room as the music swells. Uh, and then, I, yeah, I hmm, I kind of, for me, especially because at this point, um, you know what? Yeah, I don't know why. I thought it was sort of the end or like it, or maybe a movement to a, a a different cycle but like not mm-hmm, the same cycle mm-hmm. i don't know yeah. yeah well i just had the sense that maybe one like maybe now two is the new one and the girl's the new two and that mm. and that they both had also arrived as children but i mean that's such a bleak vision of existence you know but that really makes sense now that you're saying that because of their age i think he- two is like 40s or 50s and then um mm. one is 30 and then three is 60 like he's mm-hmm. she or she is older um so when a girl comes the little young girl comes um wow yeah i could see that and also because with the way they were just i don't know like the way they were talking to each other just also felt really juvenile sometimes yeah they're kind of like stunted in a way yeah they do seem like children Mm -hmm. in some ways so i read some of the reviews for this play and a lot of people said 
or reaction said it was funny. <laughs> Did you find this play funny at all? I think I would find it funny if I were watching it. Mm. I think a lot of the things that were confusing, I, I mean, I was doing a lot of work trying to picture it in my mind, you know, and if I didn't have to do that work and could just watch it unfold, I think it would be funny. Mm. I mean, like there's a moment where two folds up this packet of potato chips and sticks them in his underwear. You know, that's the kind of thing that right. like, uh, I might be hilarious on <laughs> Yeah, like the um, physical comedy. The physical comedy, yeah. And the whole sequence with the fly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it sounds like you didn't find it funny. Um, no, I guess not. You're but just I worried know. about I, I, I honestly, <laughs> like nothing, I don't find anything funny anymore. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> I find this conversation very funny. <laughs> the thing I find the most fascinating is the storytelling, how they are like retelling these stories of this place of Turk and the different characters and the whole stuff about the perfume. And I mean, I, that's the thing that I just really don't understand. And that makes me want to see a production of the play to kind of watch them become these characters and work through who these people are. So in terms of the, the journey where the play took you mm. from where it started to where it ended and how it ended, like how do you feel the journey? Yeah. Was for you in terms of like what we know or we think we know about the character characters until the very end. I mean, I just felt confused and frustrated <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> a lot of the time, um, I think I don't, it didn't really feel like a journey for me. It didn't feel like mm. a narrative or yeah. like a linear trajectory. It felt more like um, we ha we saw these two people kind of going in circles. And then suddenly the big revelation was when the wall fell down and three arrived. And I think that would be, you know, super um, exciting and maybe terrifying in production because, you know, you're not, presumably you're not expecting the wall to fall down. Um, but then he leaves and the wall comes back up and one of them has to go. And then it really feels to me like when the little girl arrives, it's like just the that the she and the and um, two are just going to kind of continue on. So I don't know. I it felt very kind of experimental and surrealist, um, mm -hmm. rather than like it was taking me on a journey I don't, but mm -hmm. did you feel like you went on a journey uh, no <laughs> I mean no not in the same similar sense what you just said too I well I maybe mean, forcing myself like I'm going on a journey but I just felt like I constantly felt like I was pulled in all different directions I was like you know what this what kind of journey is this? <laughs> mm -hmm. Was did you feel like you were in a different place at the end than you were in the beginning? 
I did though. Yeah. I, I thought I I mean, yeah, I think I did feel that way. That in what way? <clears throat> I you know, I don't know what it is, but I think one I was like, I got a sense of for sure these these two characters are dudes. And so there's only about mm. a young girl coming in at the mm. end or it's like a feminine kind of so I'm, I I don't know that just like the the contrast of that mm-hmm. already made me think this is going to be a different world or something or a different Yeah, cycle. that's interesting. Yeah. Um yeah. And all, because I it was it was kind of hard to Yeah, that's that's kind of the only impression I got. Um So you mentioned experimental surrealist those words um so is that do you feel like for its time 2014 when this play was was, uh produced uh it's like how do i say it is it experimental surrealist of that time like (laughs) does that make sense six years ago Six years ago, like if if that's those six years ago, what do you think experimental surrealists would look like today? What I don't that know. Today, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think one of the things that strikes me about the play is how a political it is. I mean, it, which is not to say that like, I mean, obviously there are a lot of plays that um, are not about directly about politics, but it feels like it does kind of exist in a vacuum. Um, And maybe I don't have a good sense of like the kind of dominant narratives in the UK in 2014, but, but it it feels like it's very outside of time and outside of space. Mm. Um, Like it's not really necessarily in conversation with, what's going on in the world and and so that makes it feel like very not of the year 2020 (laughs) do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and also like so you know I think about like the biggest upheaval in the UK in the past few years I think has been Brexit and this was this was written before that Mm. Um, but I don't feel like I know enough about UK like the, politics. Yeah, so. and and just like cultural conversations to yeah. really say more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, one last question before we move on to Glisten. What who would you recommend this play to? Oh my what kind gosh. of what kind of playwright? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like, like what kind of play to write or? I mean, I, I just have to say like, it, cause I want to be totally honest with our listeners. Like I really don't like this play very much. And I feel like, <laughs> I mean, in case that didn't already come through, <laughs> uh, I just think it takes a very bleak and cynical view of humanity and um, the things I really like about Beckett which Enda Walsh seems to be in conversation with are missing from this play. And I, I am not totally sure if I can express it more clearly than that, except that 
I really like Beckett's work and I don't like this play. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, just, well, I, that's so interesting. So wait, wait. So, um, well, what is Beckett doing that you feel? Yeah, exactly. Sad? Now you're going to ask me to get more specific. Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh, I don't know. I, I, I think, I just don't know if this brings anything new. I feel like I can't answer this question. I have to think more about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe listeners, if you know the answer, just let us know. Uh, you can read this play. Um, well, what do you think? I mean, what do, what's I your takeaway? Who I, would you recommend it to? Um, I think I would recommend it to maybe playwrights who are really into devising, I think. Um, even though this was really like a device because this is one player. But there's something about like – actor like the like this is this is a type of play that like the actor really not like has to be like physically trained like I don't know what it is but they like they're mm. very technical it's something about very technical yeah. about play so I think that if you're a playwright that is uh or maybe oh an actor is wanting to ex you know I honestly don't like I think there's something about a very uh an actor wants to really challenge themselves um <laughs> and then they want to work with like a playwright that uh has experience in devising or kind of wants to do something uh really outlandish it's really challenging <laughs> challenging i mean this is okay well here so to back to your question i think i really think beckett's plays are hilarious and mm. i love the humor in beckett's writing and so maybe i don't have a good sense of the humor because I haven't seen it, but it feels like a different kind of humor in this play. Mm -hmm. It feels more um, like physical comedy and kind of simplistic humor. Mm. Whereas the humor in Beckett seems to come more from the language and the, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, I think, um, his humor with Beckett is very – it's kind of like dry humor, right? Is very that, dry, yeah. Uh, there's something about that that you immediately kind of get a sense, the 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 contrast that he kind of creates. And so um, – and then so you're kind of laughing at those, like, spe specificity that he creates um, in the language. Whereas I feel like Endo Walsh, Belly Turk um, – the humor, I, it's kind of like, I don't know, maybe if, if you, maybe you grew up watching Family Guy and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's only like, I mean, I don't know, like kind of like that's like, like just like, I, I again, you know, when I say, I, when I say family, do you kind of get what a sense on me and just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Of, um, the randomness, the, um, well, but I, and I think yeah. Beckett's work has this deep feeling underneath of it, like a deep anguish and longing. And and I think the humor comes out of, um, you know, just like the recognition of how 
much pain and suffering there is in life, but like, but there's also a love there. And Mm. even though it's like not on the surface, I, I do think it's like underneath and this play feels like it's all surface to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's all um, it's just kind of colors and physicality and kind of expressionistic, you know, kind of exploring what can happen on stage. Mm-hmm. But it's not so much about the depth of feeling that I see in Beckett. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what it is. Mm. A lot to chew on here. I know, I know. Clearly, I'm going to have to keep thinking about this. Listeners, I we hope that <laughs> you uh, took something away from this. Um, if you get a chance to read it, read it. Uh, and tell us if you disagree with us because yeah, we really – yeah. I'm, I'm just so kind of puzzled by my – reactions to this play yeah and the thing is we we've read people's reactions and reviews and there was a lot of like like head scratching like okay (laughs) people who actually saw it like i'm seeing a lot of like reviews after watching it they're like head scratching like i don't know what just happened but i was laughing like they're just kind of like they're they're that's the kind of lot of the reaction i you know what i was able to pull um and so in that sense like i would if there was an opportunity, I think I would watch it just to kind of get to try to see what it is that people are trying to say and see if I can yeah. decipher it. Uh, but maybe I can't because I just read the play too. And it was, it was really hard for me to decipher. Um, I would definitely go see this just to try to get it better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right then. Well, let's move on to Glisten. Okay. I'm going to go first because I read this article in the Atlantic and I think everybody should read it. Oh. It's freaking terrifying. It's called The Election That Could Break America by Barton Gelman. Um, and run, do not walk to, I mean, I guess the Atlantic website. Um, because it, he's really looking at the way in which um, the Republican Party is already working to undermine the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and my biggest takeaway is that the the count on election day is going to matter a lot because yeah. um, a lot of the mail-in votes are not going to be tabulated. They can't start counting mail-in ballots until 7 a.m. on election day. And so um, what is likely to happen is that Trump will be ahead in the count by the end of election day, even though it's likely that more people are going to vote for Biden. Those votes are going to come in later. And so there's a real risk Mm. that the Trump administration is going to stop the count. Um, But there are also so many other factors that I hadn't even thought about that are talked about in this article. And um, I think everyone should read it. Mm. But you feel like the news should not call it at all. (laughs) Like don't, nobody should call it. Well, that's what they're saying in the media. They're starting to say, you know, we are we have to be ready to not call the election on election day. And, mm-hmm. um, but you know, okay. So what happens if Fox News calls it for Trump, and every other news outlet is like, actually, we don't know yet. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. right. <sighs> or, or maybe somebody creates uh, an Instagram post. It goes viral. 
Trump won. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. But the, uh, one of the other big things that I hadn't even thought about is that each state chooses the electors to, you know, cast their vote for the president. And it's a formality because it's always been that they choose electors based on the vote in their state. Right. And in Pennsylvania, the Republican Party is already talking about just picking electors based on who they think should be president rather than on the popular vote in Pennsylvania. So it's like that kind of thing. I mean, then there's no law to stop that from happening. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, what's your glisten, Sarah? Oh, oh dear goodness oh my gosh <laughs> talk about um i think we're on theme here uh, in terms of blinkness and I know, I know. the darkness of it all um <laughs> uh, oh gosh you know my lesson this week um it's i don't even know but okay here's well, talk about another. Okay, okay. This is my question because I was like, I don't know if I should share it, but I'll just share it. Anyways, I've been taking um, stress sleeping aid supplement <laughs> because I can't. I have been trouble sleeping. Yeah, that sounds so nice. Because I have been trouble having trouble sleeping uh, because of everything that's going on, and I'm probably gonna be continue to taking it uh, till maybe after election day. I don't know, but it's been helping me. Um, it's natural. You feel better. I do feel better. I always feel wake up a little more rested. At first, it was very difficult for me to, like, I was like, I like my body was not used to a like a deep sleep. You know what I mean? So every time I I could feel myself in the first week, like if my body went to a deep sleep or my mind, I would wake up. I'm like that was too deep, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. or something. Like it was because I think I've been feeling um all this like anxiousness and anxiety from what I'm, you know, with this election and so much on the line. Um, but it's been working. I I've been restful sleeping being able to wake up and and it's um it's like all natural it's like all all the ingredients is all natural so i don't Mm -hmm. wake up with like grogginess at all either that's Um, so nice yeah yeah i think i've been reading about how you know especially if you have wildfires where you're you're probably staying inside a lot and Mm -hmm. um so much of your body's ability to regulate sleep comes from getting direct sunlight and so maybe that's like you know, yeah. that maybe that's part of it. Yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been inside for so long that I think yeah. I'm sure what you're saying. Um, yeah. So um, I've been so, and it's so funny because I'm the type of person that's so, I like, I don't need supplements. I don't want to take supplement. Like I, I could find the fruits and the veggies and like I could, you know, <laughs> I was like I need the supplement. And I was like this. But if it I helped, know. I mean, especially now. You yeah. Know, and sleep is so important. I know. Yeah, so the brand I use is called Aura. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, are we going to get a kickback from the company for mentioning it on this show? No, there, no. I, this coming point does not even watch a play, like watch theater shows. Um, but uh, no kickbacks. But I really like it. So, because I've also noticed, like, I've been seeing posts from friends being like, you know, I've been feeling really restless. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing out there. 
Um, well, you heard it here first, <laughs> listeners. Rush out and buy what's it called? Aura. It's called Yura Knockout. Um, Aura's Yura Knockout. That's like the name of the the bottle. The, the product is called Yura Knockout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like because it knocks you stress. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I take it right before, like an hour or before I go to bed. And so it starts kicking in. I'm like, oh, here I go into a deep sleep. And do you feel like you can concentrate better the next day? The next day? Um, like and focus. in the morning, I do. I feel like in the morning, I do. And then afternoon, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel a little high energy, a little anxious, a little, you know. And then, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And just, so I try to find a way to decompress. I mean, I try to like exercise during the day. So that helps. Um. But man, folks, like I don't know. This is a whole new world. Yeah, <laughs> like it really is. It feels like I doesn't it feel like um have you watched Black Mirror? No. Or like it's but it oh it's kinda like it's kind of like a, a Twilight Zone type thing, but it's it Maybe feels you're like you're anxious oh, and you can't sleep because you watch all these frightening shows at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I know. I it, I love it though. I <laughs> like the scary <laughs> But it doesn't help when I'm also like reading the news on top of yeah, it all. The news so. is the scariest of all. Yeah. Well, wow. This is probably one of our darkest, bleakest <laughs> Well, we were inspired by this play to yeah. think dark thoughts. Yeah. Well, anyway, listeners, let us know what you think of Bally Turk. We really would love to hear some other opinions besides our own. So share them. Share them. Uh, and you know what else you got to do too? Uh, share the episode. Talk about it with your friends if you want. I mean, I'm so curious. Who are you really talking to right now? <laughs> are you <laughs> review, share, like, you know, the drill, you know. If that's Let us you're... know you're out there. Let us know you're out there. <laughs> um, actually, you guys have been doing a pretty good job letting us know you're out there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Goodbye. don't stop now. Bye. 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 <laughs>